Welcome to Kroll's and Motion Podcast, Kroll and Mooring's podcast addressing all things related to the legal issues facing the transportation industries. Whether by land, sea, or air, and Motion's mission is to raise awareness over the key legal topics facing these industries through discussions with business leaders, academics, policymakers, and prominent legal minds. In that vein, for this inaugural cast, we are thrilled to be joined by Rebecca Cheney and Scott Winkleman, the two leaders of Crow and Mooring's Transportation Group. As one of the top five most innovative law firms in North America, a recent Law 360 Transportation Group of the Year, and a team that spans the globe, Crow and Mooring's Multidisciplinary Transportation Group has spent nearly half a century helping clients navigate the various legal issues in the transportation spheres. For her part, my partner Rebecca's practice focuses on helping clients to navigate the regulatory and litigation landscapes in product safety and contract matters for transportation manufacturers and other market players. Scott's practice focuses on defending contract, tort, and class action litigations, advising clients on how to avoid litigation, and importantly, regulatory consulting. Rebecca and Scott, thank you both for joining us on this program. Thank you, Paul, so much for having us. Yes, thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. And Rebecca, if I could start with you and ask for you to set the table for us a bit. Is there an easy way to describe the current state of affairs of the transportation industries and the changes and challenges that they're facing? I think, you know, Paul, it will be no surprise to anyone that the transportation industry, like many industries today, is facing a multitude of changes. And that comes in a number of areas, Uh, but it's driven, I think in many respects by the evolution of technologies, by infrastructure and by today's very unique supply chain. When it comes to the legal issues that leads to a number of things. And I think probably come readily to mind, I'll list a few, Uh, regulatory compliance, liability and insurance, data privacy, uh, their intellectual property issues around these technologies, AI, of course, it's featuring in in so many different areas these days, environmental compliance, contractual disputes, just to mention some of those that come top of mind. And you rattled off a lot there, uh, Rebecca, so I appreciate that. And there's some there that you're mentioning more more tech-driven, kind of business-driven, and of course, a a litany of, of legal issues. Are all of those issues kind of happening and evolving at the same time? Are all of them like kind of equally important at this moment? Or are there some that you can identify for our listeners that are kind of key drivers right at this moment? I think they are happening all right now. I think the the key drivers and what's more important for one entity at any given moment in time may shift a little bit. But one very uh, consistent feature is contract issues. I find that that's among the most current and significant issues in the transportation space and for companies in a multitude of different transportation segments. For one thing, we know the transportation industry is heavily guided by supplies, supply contracts. And there was a recent decision by the Michigan Supreme Court, which was called Airboss. And that decision injected uncertainty into the enforceability of certain contracts that high-level manufacturers and suppliers routinely rely on. 
And the result of that decision is companies may need to update. They may need to renegotiate their contractual relationships. And at the very least in Michigan, um, but other courts tend to look at Michigan when it comes to automotive supply contracts. So companies need to assess how that decision might impact contracts that are governed by other states' laws. And if I could add, you know, sort of a related point is force majeure. That has become a significant issue for transportation industry supply chains. Suppliers are increasingly invoking their force majeure provisions when they're unable to supply. And whereas previously force majeure was something that received very little attention in contracting. You know, you sort of skimmed over it as you're negotiating and evaluating a contract. It's now a heavily negotiated provision. And much of these issues, certainly not all, but a good bit is stemming from challenging supply chains that we're facing today. There are ongoing difficulties in securing certain materials. There are uh, an increase in sole source contract relationships, and it adds a lot of complexity to supplying and sourcing products. Well, thanks for all of that. And I certainly remember my days of force majeure in contract class, and I don't remember taking up much time at all. So it's interesting that it's coming back now. It's also interesting. I remember the days back in the, well, I'm not going to indicate the years, but how just-in-time manufacturing was such a driving force uh, for a lot of industries uh, throughout the world to make sure they they didn't have um, more than what they needed at any given time. And it sounds like the challenges of recent years have made that approach re- revisited. You mentioned the Airboss case. Can you provide a little bit more details about that? Like what was the issue and what do folks need to be thinking about now in, in, in response to that case? Sure, absolutely. So the issue is when you have a purchase order that does not provide for a specific quantity of parts to be supplied, whether it's enforceable. And in the automotive, among other supply industries, it's routine for a manufacturer to issue what are called blanket purchase orders. You know, purchase order that says, I'm gonna purchase zero widgets or one widget from you supplier at X cost per widget, but not specify the total quantity that needs to be supplied. Those total quantities or incremental quantities are then requested by call-offs or releases, you know, where manufacturer says, supplier, next month, I'm going to need 16,000 widgets, and then supplier supplies. So Airboss concluded that that blanket purchase order without a specific quantity term is not an enforceable contract. So it does not compel the supplier to supply product unless and until the supplier has accepted those individual call-offs and releases. And so manufacturers have relied on the existence of a purchase order and accompanying purchase order terms and conditions without quantity terms to set their supply expectations, whereas now that's more challenging. Interesting. All right. Well, certainly sounds like the, the, the days of language of requirements contract is going to be revisited in some way. Uh, so, so, Scott, you've just heard a lot and you've been waiting patiently, and I appreciate that. We've covered, Rebecca mentioned, a number of legal issues that are kind of in play all at the same time, fo- focusing on the contract issues. Reactions to that, disagreements, agreements, elements that you'd like to add? What, what are your thoughts about the affairs of the transportation space and the legal issues that they're facing? 
Thanks, Paul. A main takeaway that Rebecca and I regularly share with our clients is that one cannot control all of the global supply chain forces, and we are not pure victims. That is, one can control quite a number of the consequences of those forces. And what do we mean by that? And Rebecca touched on some. We can update and reform our contracting practices, Paul, just like you said, for instance, about requirement contracts. We can update our force majeure clauses. Sadly, we've all lived through a pandemic. If your clause now doesn't use the word pandemic, well, expect to lose, sadly, the next time you're on the, on the defense on force majeure. Our clients can determine their pricing strategy when there's a shortage of raw materials that triggers brawls and negotiations of various sorts. One can know better and trace more robustly one's sourcing of raw materials. Have they come from embargoed countries, for instance? One can track trends in transportation law, since as Rebecca rightly notes, things are moving legally at a, at a gravitational pull for uh, trend and speed. One can determine the company's uh, AI stra strategy. And we find a lot of our clients right now uh, working through the ins and outs of how AI is and, is and will not be permitted within the uh, corporate efforts and structure. And the last thing I would add, Paul, is it would be a profound mistake to think of supply chain forces as a challenge alone, which challenge does come opportunity. And so reviewing, auditing one's contracts to decide whether force majeure, once this sleepy backwater concept is, you know, now is a really quite a force of nature, well, is that a legitimate cause for excusing performance? And in other respects, do not feel powerless. One does have some destiny one can manifest over its own practices. Well, that, that's interesting. And it's interesting on a, on a couple of levels. One, uh, you, as you walk through the, the variety of business issues that are, gonna, are coming up now in these, in these contracts in the supply chain, uh, side of the house, uh, you did touch on AI there, and that's undoubtedly a topic that we'll be revisiting uh, in the in the series of these podcasts. But I I'm struck by the fact that a lot of what you're both talking about are to to say kind of informally back office issues. Uh, the the supply chains, how you're dealing with your suppliers, how you're dealing with the people you supply the the creation of products the creation of of data to run your business but it's not front of the house issues uh that i know both of you also address on some of the product liability work that you do uh, and the like is there or are there challenges on that side of the house as well that are happening now or is it really kind of kind of the key moment right now the key issues right now facing is back back of the office and the front of the house problems have, have always been will continue to be there but will really need to be addressed after the back of the back of the house issues need to need to take place Scott any thoughts on that yes yeah, important question and you're just right to not purely think inwardly that's right 
is your company going to be branded as a, a first mover leader in AI? That's an external matter that you know has profound consequences for company image, for company sales, for company reputation. Is your company going to act on its new contract practices that's externally in courts of law, for instance, and assert, again, what used to be sleepy excuse doctrines like force majeure, but also like common law principles, impossibility, and so forth. That's an external application of new transportation dialogue and development of law. And there are other respects in which you're just right. While, while getting one owns house in order is timely and as crucial as ever, acting then in the world on those best practices is what we recommend to our clients. Well, thanks for that. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity to to plug the group a bit on this, how, uh, giving all of those issues and knowing they're on a on a global scale, um, how does an interdisciplinary approach to the transportation matters really better serve clients in the space? Can you outline that for us? I'm happy to, Paul, and Rebecca uh, knows everything I would have to say about this as well, because we really are a team. To be concrete about this, for instance, one of our auto part supplier clients some years back acquired another auto part supplier, two companies that we all would have heard of. And were it the case that Kroll could only do, say, the NHTSA car regulatory piece of that transaction, that would have been insufficient. That would not be a bespoke response to a client transactional challenge. So it helped quite a bit that under the transportation practice umbrella at the firm, we could also handle the CFIUS aspects of that transaction, because after all that involved a foreign investment, the Royal We could take on the white collar aspects of that transaction, the contract review aspects, the investigatory aspects, the going to the hill policy aspects, because this transaction got quite a lot of coverage, not just in the media, but in Congress. And so we, we like to think that after all, what matters is excellent service, and we, we are more likely to give excellent service in a holistic fashion. But with that, I think I do want to yield to Rebecca for her own illustrations. Yeah, and I do as well. And that, that was actually a very nice overview of of kind of how that approach works at Kroll. But Rebecca, do you anything to add to that or maybe even a war story that you'd like to share about how that interdisciplinary practice and approach works um, here at the firm? Yes, thank you, Paul. I can provide some other examples of where it really does require an interdisciplinary approach to represent clients in, in some of these transportation matters. Um, the importation of vehicles is one example that implicates NHTSA, as Scott was referring to, which is the vehicle safety regulator. Um, it implicates EPA, uh, and that applies even when you're speaking about electric vehicles. There are trade implications as well. And so to coordinate the importation of one vehicle requires at least three different transportation-related practices. 
Another example of where we used a cross-disciplinary approach to represent clients had to do with responding to a proposed rule that NHTSA issued regarding autonomous vehicles. And we worked with a colleague who had formerly been with FAA's chief counsel's office, um, where FAA had, had uh, proposed a similar rule. And so we were able to use the learnings from that experience to apply it to the NHTSA opportunity. There's also uh, an intersection between these regulatory product safety matters and product liability and product defect cases which you had mentioned, and Scott and I happened to, to handle both such matters, the litigation and the regulatory side, but they're two important areas of transportation practice that need to come together. And I think to, uh, to speak to your, your question earlier even a bit further, we are seeing a, a couple of trends in that respect. One is very active safety regulators. Um, NHTSA has been more active than in prior administrations. The CPSC, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, has also been more active. Um, and the CPSC does have jurisdiction over some transportation products, and in particular in the micromobility space. So that is relevant and important. And understanding how to liaise with those agencies and the implications for potential product liability matters are really important. And then on the supply side of things, we are seeing more disputes between manufacturers and their suppliers you know, at different points in the supply chain than there were, say, a decade ago. And so um, there's an, an increase in the number of, of contract and warranty disputes, which again relates to um, the product issues and the potential product defect matters that are equally important to, to navigate. Well, there's a lot there. And thank you for all of that, because frankly, you've given me a lot of ideas um, to provide for future casts. And so everyone stay tuned for all of that. But you covered product regula uh, product regulatory issues, safety, you mentioned product liability, AI, IP, ESG, contract issues. Scott, I'm going to turn it back to you to give Rebecca the last word. But uh, anything now at the close of, of this cast that you think we have not covered that we should to give our listeners some indication of where the industry is parked and where it might be going. Thanks, Paul. I would close by urging that companies think hard about whether they are compartmentalizing perhaps a bit too much their legal services. We like to think, and, and more importantly, clients say that we, we transact better because we litigate and we litigate better because we transact. In other words, our, our transportation corporate colleagues know how to write a provision, and our litigators can share with those corporate counselors how those provisions play out in a tribunal, whether it be in arbitration, a, a courtroom, sometimes before a regulatory agency and beyond. So I think it's really to say that as the various transportation sectors come to overlap more and more, and as companies even morph between being, say, a car company to suddenly being an AI company to perhaps getting into aviation spaces, the, again, the holistic look at legal opportunity and challenge becomes all the more important. Great insight. 
great insight there. Rebecca, last word with you, a similar question. Is there, from your perspective, a, a closing thought about what our listeners should be thinking about in the industry space that they should keep an eye on? I think Scott said that beautifully, perhaps just to say the same thing in, in different words. They should be proactive. They should be assessing the legal landscapes and the risk profiles that pertain to their individual businesses and take efforts to mitigate those risks ahead of time and to prepare their businesses for, for what's to come. And I like to think Crawl and Morning and the End Motion podcast will help them do that. Scott, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time today. I know we'll circle back with you now and again to hear some more insights about the industries, but uh, thank you very much for your time today. And I appreciate your role on and motion. Take care. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much, Paul. This episode of and motion is brought to you by cruel and mooring LLP. To learn more about this series, visit crawl.com forward slash podcasts.